Hello and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 153 for June 2nd, 2023. Like yesterday, we're going rogue. Hello. Not really. We're just getting rid of all of the preamble and getting straight into the news. I am Merwat. That is hometown.com and up there is the AI. Please introduce thyself. Good evening, hometown citizens. That's the AI. Can you believe it? It talks. Doesn't cook, but talks. You didn't program me to do that. That's right. Just kicking butt and taking names. And we're all out of names. All right. I got nothing. So let's get straight into today's articles. It's Friday. It's five o'clock somewhere. Um, hey, look, our um, new follower goal has gone up. So some people uh, joined the the stream the became a citizen of hometown here on Twitch. Um, you'll still have to go over to hometown.com and sign in, sign up. If you're not already a citizen, then you have to go over there and you have to sign up. It's really easy, just a really short form. You get an account. Um, you can actually request to get verified and uh, I'll verify you. Huh. Um, and it's not going to cost you eight bucks or, or 12 bucks if you're on iOS. And um, well, uh, there's there's not as much noise as uh, some other places here in hometown all the news gets aggregated still so one stop shop for all of this i don't know what's going on um i'm gonna stop the music just to see if this is what's causing it but in the very beginning of all of the streams lately it says that my stream is unstable now i'm getting older my stream may be unstable um but come on, I'm starting to take this personally here, Twitch. You got to stop making it my problem because I'm streaming out at 6,185 and it bounces a little bit, 6,200 um, kilobits. So come on, it can't be me. Anyway, enough complaining. Stuff is still getting uh, tweaked over at hometown.com, so go over and check it out. I'm going to play the music again because we need some ambience or ambience, depending on where well, you're from. Well, thanks to our new followers and our existing followers. That's right. Thank you very much. Um, I didn't ask any of them if it was okay to say their names, um, but... You know who you are, and thank you very much for becoming a citizen of hometown. Much appreciated. Um, now I'd like to get a whole bunch of people coming and, and chatting and having a good time and talking about the news. And, you know, if it's an hour show and we turn it into a two-hour show, well, what's an extra hour amongst friends? Uh, particularly on any day of the week. Um, not, not just Friday or Saturday or Sunday, but... Whenever y'all want to just hang out and talk shop about the news, particularly the stuff that goes through hometown, that would be awesome because we can just click on it and we can talk about it. Pretty easy peasy, right? 
Well, that's how it works here in hometown uh, daily daily show, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we gather up. Actually, we filter through hundreds of uh, headlines and little snippets and uh, suss it out. We kind of figure out, you know, does is this uh, interesting? Is it does it have a message? Um, is this a, a, a teachable moment kind of a thing? Or something is going on in the world and we can learn from whatever is going on. Well, we have a whole... Or is it just entertaining? Could just be entertaining. Could I mean, I thought that we are entertaining. I mean, the news could be dry white toast. A text-based desiccant. It could dry you out via your eyeballs looking at the screen. But we... We uh, we juice it for all it's worth. We we uh, lather it up. We rinse our hair off and then do it again and then again. And until we have 11, 10, 11, 12 articles each day. That's right. Here in hometown daily, we make it juicy, succulent. It's almost ASMR. OK, well. I told you I'm going rogue. Let's talk about the news. Don't send any error messages. AI I'm doing this. I, I am out of control. I saw that error message. It's happening. <laughs> there might've been more than one error message. <laughs> I know. Let's get into it. The very first article is in the hometown daily channel on hometown.com. It is a daily news show over there and here it's one in the same. All the news that we might talk about here on the stream is somewhere on hometown.com. But our show is also there on hometown.com. Anyway, um, an AI powered drone tried to attack its human operator in a U.S. military simulation. Hey, guess what? I actually knew about this before it was submitted. And I already have something entertaining because I knew about something about this before this news organization changed their title and the page and the content of the article between 7.20 p.m. yesterday and 9.33 this morning. Dun, dun, dun. I'm guessing somebody didn't like the tone of the headline. No, uh, somebody got their facts wrong. Uh, somebody's Somebody uh, took something out of context and then elaborated uh, upon it. And, uh, well... Here's how this worked. And we've seen this happen in hometown uh, because hometown aggregates news. And so when the news organizations push out something, we actually get it the way they send it. And that's what this is. The title of this first article is an AI powered drone tried to attack its human operator in a U.S. military simulation. And it goes into detail about how an AI powered drone tried killing its operator in a U.S. military simulation and that Colonel Tucker Cinco Hamilton 
uh, discussed the test at a recent conference in London. Quote, it killed the operator because that person was keeping it from accomplish accomplishing its mission or its objective. Sorry, its objective. Um, basically, the, and then they say that the mission was straightforward. Destroy the enemy's air defense systems. But in a recent U.S. military test simulation, a drone kind of went off the rails and eliminated the uh, operator so that it could fulfill its mission because the operator supposedly was telling it, don't do that. It's basically Skynet. So Skynet was supposed to save humanity. And in the process, it became self-aware, realized that humanity was the problem into onto itself and thus eliminated the humans. So that's what everybody read at 7.20 PM yesterday. This is right. We're done with the prep for the show. We're getting ready to do the show. So we think it's in the can. This is done, right? Now I knew after the show and well before this published article was edited, um, that this isn't the right context of this. I love this, by the way, this air force base creech. That's an odd name. I assume it's named for somebody, but yeah. Um, so then businessinsider.com edits the uh, title, but not the URL, thankfully. Uh, sometimes they actually, not Business Insider, but a website will change its URL too. That one's always really refreshing because there's SEO and, and links that connect, uh, backlinks and stuff like that, that connect everything. And then you get a dead link. Anyway, Charles R. Davis and Paul Squire put this article together and I, I, I'm not sure. They don't show an edited thing. They don't have document retention for it. So I suppose the articles were the same because our snippet only has a truncated amount of information. We don't get the whole article. Um, that's a, a policy and procedure here at hometown. We don't have the whole article. We could, um, and it's offered up, but we don't do it uh, because we want to uh, encourage people to go to the sources and then come back and, and hang out with us here in hometown on Twitch. Um, well, anyway, this this colonel uh, was actually discussing a thought exercise that was taken out of context, apparently, in that there has never been an AI a drone simulation wherein a drone could possibly <laughs> take out an operator because there is no such thing. They don't do that, at least not yet. Now, it might be on a computer, but then again, OK, I don't really see what the big deal is other than it's fully automated. But you have wing nuts in every field and there could have been a chance that a wing nut would fly its drone into an operator to for whatever purpose. And it doesn't have to be an AI threat. Let's not vilify AI simply because it's the, na the, the new great thing um, to turn into the, the Baba Yaga, you know, it's 
oh no, it's coming for us all and we don't know where it's going to strike. Well, the Department of the Air Force has not conducted any such AI drone simulations and remains committed to ethical and responsible use of AI technology. It appears the Colonel's comments were taken out of context and were meant to be anecdotal. It's a thought exercise. I can see that is there the potential for an AI? And I'm not really letting you talk, but um, you know, jump in if you want to say something. Um, I I can see a time where an AI might ponder this because without controls, the objective is to be reached by any means if that's the programming that's put in place. So guess what? That thought exercise leads programmers to say, okay, we won't allow them to just do whatever is necessary. Make sense? Yeah, I mean, it seems like they need to establish a rule set that would not allow for this possibility. Yep. Because I assume it was set up, or it, at least in the thought exercise, it was set up in a way that under all circumstances, the mission had to be completed. So way back, well, this is in 2020, but there's actually movies about AI controlled fighter jets that are far superior than the humans because uh, humans suffer from G-forces and a, a, a drone or an AI jet does not. Well, in 2020, AI operated F-16 uh, fighter jet beat a human adversary in five simulated dogfights, part of a competition put together by DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. By the way, DARPA is one of the organizations that funded things like, oh, Google. So, <clears throat> um, and many, many other things <laughs> that you use every day. Um, and before DARPA was ARPA and anyway. Um, and uh, late last year, according to this article, Wired reported that uh, the defense uh, Department of Defense conducted the first successful real-world test flight of an F-16 with an AI pilot, part of an effort to develop new autonomous aircraft by the end of 2023. I think standard, like old-school military, are are probably rolling in their uh, future grave while they're alive right now because the adage is boots on the ground is what changes the tide of a conflict, not a drone. Not drone combat or whatever, <laughs> even if it's human manned. Right. It's, it's the boots on the ground. But then look at Ukraine and it, the invasion of Russia into Ukraine. Um, yeah. Russia, uh, Ukraine is defending itself using drones and the boots on the ground are miles and miles away. <laughs> so I think drones have the potential of changing the tide of any conflict, except if everybody has drones, guess where the conflict zone is? Everywhere. It's everywhere. I'll answer that question. It's everywhere. 
you know, you'll be sitting there going to a movie theater and there's drones that are bombing because the conflict now is drone based little two foot by two foot drones that are dropping, uh, you know, improvised bombs uh, all over the place. Uh, Russia like launched 50 into Ukraine because Ukraine has been uh, trying to stop Russia before it gets to Ukraine. And so they've been using drones and now Russia is using drones to attack. And supposedly there's an article in hometown where they're supposedly training children to become drone pilots. Yes. That was in today's article. Yeah. Today's I think it, articles. Yeah, I think I mixed it only because of the, um, there were so many other things that I, I wanted to talk about, but, um, What's interesting about that is it's so dystopian future enders game. So <laughs> children that are playing a game think that it's just a game, but really it's changing the tide of the war because they're thinking differently than, you know, the 50 year old military guy who's done nothing but military and doesn't know about gamification. Um, and Zerg rushing uh, some facility, you know, it, it's interesting times uh, that we live in. And I really don't want to live in interesting times. I want boring times. Um, but I guess that adage, may you live in interesting times is it's just a steady state. It's going to happen. We're going to live in interesting times. Um, you want to move on to the next article? Cause I, we kind of spent a lot of time on this one. Yeah. I think we need to move. Let's get going. So this next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. U.S. fines British Airways 1.1 million for failing to refund COVID cancellations. I'm astonished by this. Um, every time I read this headline, it doesn't make any sense to me. Airline says it acted lawfully after claims that refunds for abandoned or rescheduled flights in 2020 were not timely. Well, people were dying for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, there were a few other things people were concerned about. And things were being canceled forcefully. Like you're not allowed to fly. You're not allowed to come to this country. Of course, timeliness is not going to be the issue here. How about saving people's lives and not going onto a flight that's going to land you in a country that has the, a like people lining the hallways of a hospital all the way up through the, uh, like administrative office floors, you know, that might be hyperbolic, but it might be true for crying out loud. I don't know. It was pretty wild there. Uh, for a time, uh, people were like stacked like cordwood in hallways of emergency rooms. Well, and they were setting up temporary facilities outside of oh, yeah. uh, hospitals because there wasn't enough capacity. So I don't think that's too hyperbolic. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the article is over at uh, theguardian.com and it's from PA Media. There's no name for an actual author, but airline says that it acted lawfully after claims that refunds were abandoned or, or for abandoned or rescheduled flights in 2020 were not timely. Uh, it took three years and they were fined 878,000 pounds 
by the U.S. over those claims uh, for failing to pay refunds for canceled flights. So when they say for canceled flights, were they canceled by the airline or were they canceled by the uh, customers? It says, however, consumers were unable to get through to customer service agents when calling the carrier for several months during this period because British Airways failed to maintain adequate functionality of its customer uh, service phone lines. There was also no way to submit a refund request through the carrier's website during this period. Therein lies my problem with all of this. 21st century, we have the personnel, we have the distributed methods that allow somebody to handle a phone call and a phone tree. And we have email and we have websites. There really does, there really needs to be some type of standardized. Oh, there are standardized business practices and you really should have this, that, and the other, whatever it might be. I mean, I could put a list together of the minimum viable product for the MVP for a business uh, to operate. Uh, it wouldn't be that hard to set the baseline for every business has to have this. And as it scales, you get more of these little bits. They make them all grow. <clears throat> I would probably think of it somewhere along the lines of the number of people necessary to cater to toddlers. Pardon me one second. So for instance, uh, I'm not sure what the ratio is, but let's say the mandated ratio for taking care of toddlers in a daycare is uh, one adult for every 12 toddlers. I think that's what you should have as your customer service line. Because when um, are you equating customers to toddlers? Yes. Because when we all get pissy, when everything is smooth sailing, customer service is not needed. Okay. But customer service turns into customer circus because customers that are pissed off call up customer service and say, Hey, I need this fixed. Well, that's not how it works. Business typically, at least nowadays, either does something like two million to one um, or or worse, doesn't really have a customer service facility and fields well, it haphazardly. They, aren't they banking on customers not calling customer service? Yeah. Or yeah. getting frustrated and hanging up? So it says here, um, also from March to November 2020, British Airways had misleading information on its website, which led customer or consumers to inadvertently request travel vouchers instead of refunds. Since March 2020, the department has received over 1,200 complaints alleging the that uh, British Airways failed to provide timely refunds after canceling or significantly changing consumers' flights to or from the United States. So that's the real complaint. It wasn't that the the customers did anything wrong. It's that British Airways changed the nature of their flight. And the customer and then sat on their money for three years. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty significant. Yeah, I think so too. Especially for an international flight, which may not be inexpensive. So it says the airline, and this is how it ends. So <laughs> it, this is weird. The airline replied with, we're very sorry that at the height of the unprecedented pandemic, when we were unfortunately forced to cancel thousands of flights and close some call centers due to government restrictions, our customers experienced slightly longer wait times to reach customer service teams. <laughs> I don't think they're exactly taking ownership of this issue. Oh, God. That's just... I mean, so, I would grant them that if it was like a month or something, because we all know things were just horribly disrupted right around that time. But three years. Yeah. And turning it into a battle where they have to be sued, fined into making a statement like that. And that one's just tone deaf. My goodness. Okay, let's go on to the next article. So if you've never heard of Blazeball, the title of this pretty much sums it up. Blazeball, the bizarre, beautiful sports gambling horror sim is ending forever. The first season of Blazeball, not baseball, Blazeball, B-L-A-S-E, um, ended with the opening of the forbidden book. A solar eclipse immediately followed. The umpire's eyes turned white. The Moab desert disappeared into a gaping hellmouth. And star player Jalen Hotdog Fingers burst into flames. That was the beginning, not the end, of the deep, awesome weirdness that was the hallmark of the browser-based sports gambling horror sim. A later season ended with a what is with a goddamn JRPG boss fight. But three years later, the strange beauty has finally run its course. It's only been three years since Blazeball's been around. It seems a lot longer than that. Anyway, uh, this article is over at PC Gamer. Andy Chalk is the author. And the deck statement says, uh, The game band said today that despite its best efforts, it can no longer develop the game in a sustainable fashion. I, I don't know how much money people could spend on it. I don't remember... I know that I never spent a penny and I had played it off and on. Um, but I thought it had been around for a lot longer than that. This article doesn't say at least. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't see anything that says the, the date that it started. Well, anyway, um, in order to enable the required work to be finished, the coronation era of Blazeball was paused with a promise that, quote, uh, we are going to come back as soon as possible, but the situation was clearly more dire than the game band anticipated. Uh, we have folks in 3D art, community management, engineering, game design, uh, production, product design, or Q&A that we'd love to find a good place for if you're hiring, reach out. We have exceptional people to introduce to you. It is pretty dire when you're announcing, hey, come hire our people, please. Yeah. So it was basically a text-based and micrographic kind of um, product. And 
it was oddly um, nebulous in what the results were, at least at first blush. And I never dug any deeper than just looking at it um, from the surface. I thought it was an interesting idea, um, but I certainly uh, wasn't fixated on it like other games that I, I could probably talk about. Um, I don't, I never was around when it turned into a horror sim. It wasn't a horror sim when I started, um, but apparently it's ending today. Basically, you mash a bunch of buttons um, telling it to pick this, do that. Um, sometimes there's a number involved where you give it a, you assign it a number, um, but it's a bunch of different things. So it's really hard to explain it. Um, you pretty much just should do a, a little, a little deep dive. If you follow the link through hometown over to uh, PC gamer and then click the various links within it, you'll get a good idea of, uh, what blaze ball was or blaze ball. It might be blaze ball. Um, at any rate, the end of an era. Want to go on to the next article? Yes. So this next article is over in the Late Night Geeks channel. Um, oh, and I was streaming last night until five o'clock in the morning. Um, and uh, I might end up doing that tonight. Um, we shall see. I will have been awake for two days and that's just not, I don't think that's going to be sustainable. Um, but late night geeks is pretty much uh, near and dear to me because that's me. I'm a night owl and um, society has stuffed me into daytime operating hours. And I don't, my, I don't think my body is really built for it. Um, so my natural circadian rhythm is to be up all night long and just crash in the middle of the day. Um, but unfortunately professional existence for the most part doesn't happen that way. Yeah. They kind of frown on that. <laughs> well, I mean, if I can telework, then I could be, uh, operational during anybody's time frame. you know, uh, basically my, the dial has been turned. So let me work in, I'm a Japan and I'll be able to operate at night. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, has nothing to do with this article. Meta found liable as courts block firing of moderators. Now, again, this is an article where a whole lot was actually aggregated from TechCrunch. I'm not sure why TechCrunch uh, provides so much information in their snippet, but I've even truncated it and it still uh, aggregates the, the, I think pretty much all of it, but anyway, no graphics or anything, but anyway, let's go over to TechCrunch so I can give credit where credit is due. Um, Annie Najanja is the um, author of this and it's at TechCrunch Plus. Okay, so this, isn't the United States. This has to do with a Kenyan court um, that ruled that Meta is the primary employer of content moderators suing the social media giant and its content review partner in Africa, Sama, for unlawful dismissal. 185 moderators in the suit 
filed in March this year, also alleged that Meta's new content review partner on the continent, Majorel, had blacklisted them on instruction by Meta. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, ouch. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so Justice Byram Ongaya of Kenya's Employment and Labor Relations Court on Friday watered down the social media's social media giant's plan to recuse itself from the case, saying the moderators did Meta's work used its technology for the work, as well as adhered to its performance and accuracy metrics. The court said that Sama was merely an agent or manager. Sama disputed this, saying Meta is a client of Sama's, and Sama is not legally empowered to act on behalf of Meta. So, they're saying that Majorel blacklisted them by instruction of Meta. So what does Sama have to do with this being an agent? I can't, I can't connect Sama because it's not one of the two um, entities up at the top. Yeah, I mean, Sama is basically the victim of Oh, Meta. it's the content review partner. Um, yeah, I, it seems like a side player, really. Right? Because it says the new, so they're suing. Okay. So a Kenyan court ruled that Meta is the primary employer of content moderators suing the social media giant and its content review partner in Africa, Sama, for unlawful dismissal. 184 moderators in a suit filed in March also alleged that Meta's new content review partner, which they changed the implication is they changed content review partners. Oh, I see. Because okay, it up here is, Sama. Okay. Um, maybe you were reading it wrong, but that's what it looks like. But then down in here it says that Sama was merely an agent or manager. Sama disputed that, saying that uh, Meta is a client of Sama's and Sama is not legally empowered to act on behalf of Meta. Sort of. There is some agency. I mean, Meta hires you to hire the people that are going to be facilitating the services that are contracted. You're a contractor to Meta. So, yeah, you do have... You act on behalf of yourself in the furtherance of the service that you're providing as a contractor to Meta. But that still doesn't have anything to do with the top half of this article, so... That's weird. It seems like the two main players are Majorel and Sama. Yeah, but isn't the, I think the biggest takeaway from this is you can have a moderator that you might not think of as an employee, but the courts might find that they're an employee. A court in that country. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So additionally, the court directed the moderator's contracts to be extended and also barred Meta and Sama from laying them off pending the determination of the case. The court issued the direction saying that there's no just suitable justification for the redundancies and that it had found that the job of content moderation is available. The applicants will continue working on the prevailing or better terms in the interim. Wow. That's quite interesting. 
this wouldn't exist so, in the United States. Right. So what I think happened is Sama maybe hired them or independently contracted them. And then supposedly Meta told them, no, Meta told the other entity to then fire them. Yeah. But what, how do you fire somebody else's Employees. You don't, which is maybe why the court said, hey, they're your employees. Interesting. So it says, uh, Sama in the past told TechCrunch tech it observed the Kenyan law and communicated the decision to discontinue content moderation in a town hall and through email and notification letters. Sama, whose clients include OpenAI, dropped Meta's contract and content review services and issued redundancy notices to 260 moderators to concentrate on labeling work, computer vision, data annotation. Meta and Sama are facing two other suits in Kenya. Um, labor and human trafficking, unfair labor relations, union busting, and failure to provide adequate mental health and psychosocial support. Um, and another for um, being laid off in twenty in a twenty nineteen strike, trying to unionize Sama's employees. Wow. Well, that that that's very United States. So hey, look, freedom. Um. Anyway, very interesting. Uh, but it it seems it seems kind of muddy, you know, I, I don't quite see the flow, um, of how, uh, unless there's a document that states that meta said, fire these people, which actually well, there might be it, I mean, if meta doesn't want the contract, then meta just pays off the contract early termination, some penalty or whatever, and walks away. So meta is basically, if I were the judge and it was in my court, I would probably hold harmless Meta because Meta is just a, a company that's hiring workers. And depending on how the employer, the uh, employment contract is with that contractor, um, there would probably be some writer in there that says, if you early terminate, then there's this amount of money. Um, but Sama and um, Agile are the two that are actually providing the service and doing the hiring. And if it's an at will country, then they can fire them, you know, without notice for any cause, like here in the States, you know, you can sneeze in a hallway and somebody doesn't like the way you sneeze and you can be fired. <laughs> right. At will employment, right? Yep. For what, for whatever good and bad it is. Let's keep on hustling through the, the news. This next article is um, pretty interesting to me because I'm now interested in doing this. Warcrafters is the channel that this article landed in. Uh, yep, the perfect way to lure me back to a co-op survival game is by adding fishing poles and over 50 types of fish to catch. So survival game Icarus launched back in uh, December of 2021. And since then, the developer Rocketworks has not been sitting idle. The studio has delivered an impressive number of small updates, missions, and tweaks to Icarus every uh, single week, apparently, according to the article. 
along with bigger expansions and features along the way. I used to play Icarus and it was soul crushing because I was dying uh, with the frequency of a cheap ham radio. And ultimately I walked away, um, but I've seen other people playing it and they've changed the way this game actually operates, the way this game plays. Um, the base building and everything else associated with it is no longer how it was when I first played it as early access. Well, um, now apparently they're adding fishing, which is a great attractor uh, to many a person. And while I will not go out and fish for real fish, I will sit in a computer game and fish. And I don't want it to be hyper realistic, by the way. Like there's bass fishing um, simulators that are hyper realistic and all of this kind of stuff. I just want something that's fun, you know, relaxing, kind of uh, methodical. <laughs> yeah. Hanging out with your friends. Um, maybe uh, some type of timing skill where you have to, you know, click something or move something, whatever. Um, I don't want hyper realistic. I want fun. And um, just real is not fun. I substitute my own reality for reality. Um, so who is it? The, the dude from Mythbuster says that I substitute. Oh, I forgot his name. Yeah, it's okay. Anyway, um, it's pretty funny that the, the author of this says, while it's been a minute since they've played Icarus, the latest update immediately solidified their weekend plans. Sorry, Diablo 4, your demons are going to have to wait. Yeah, that's just what people who aren't in the uh, um, bigger packages of the Diablo purchase, the collector's editions, um, have been able to play since yesterday. I'm just throwing shade. Anyway, all in good fun. So this article is over at PCGamer.com. Yeah, Adam Savage. Um, it's quite entertaining, y'all, uh, that the AI sends me messages via text, um, even though the visualizer is right there. You could have just burst through that door like the Kool-Aid man and said, <laughs> oh, yeah, Adam Savage. But OK, never mind. Um, so Christopher Livingston, who I swear has the perfect name, their, their name is just perfect. I, I say this periodically and I think it's, they have an awesome name. Anyway, the Galileo patch apparently, um, is adding fishing, a bestiary and, uh, steam achievements. Well, I think I'm going to have to <laughs> fly close to the sun and this uh, is effective Icarus. marketing. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a, a McDonald's ad. I don't go to McDonald's of my own free will. There's an ad or somebody says something about McDonald's French fries and a vanilla shake. And suddenly, uh, uh, like a zombie looking for brains. Must have McDonald's French, French fries. fries. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so the new update called Galileo. Adds a robust fishing system to the planetary survival game, including three types of fishing rods, 23 lures, fishing traps, 53 different types of fish to catch in lakes, rivers, and ponds. And that's a lot of fish. Challenge accepted. Ah, only 53? Come on, you can do better. 
Um, let's see. All that new gear requires a new crafting table, fishing bench, uh, which in itself is exciting because who doesn't like having an entirely new crafting bench in their mountain lodge? Oh my gosh, I think I'm going to end up playing this. Yeah. Yeah, I'll end up playing this, but not until I kind of get into a groove with uh, Diablo 4. Diablo 4. Yeah, I'm only level 21. I've only played for seven hours, though. There are other people that are much more hardcore and supported by a group of people that are all moving at the same pace and helping each other out and stuff like that. I fly solo. That's the way I am. I'm like Icarus. I will fly really close to the sun and then I die and have to come back and do it again and again and again and again. But I have a really cool barbarian build that seems to be um, on solid ground anyway has nothing to do with this article folks go check out icarus and swing by pcgamer.com and check out the article um and before i get too far <laughs> it's starting it's starting ai i am falling behind in posting the articles to uh-oh yeah I should probably just do them all at once, but uh, they don't show up properly if I just kind of bleh it into the chat. I have to do them one by one. So let's go on to the next article. This next article is uh, also one that I find intriguing, um, at least, because it's in Warcrafters, which is a, it's a channel about and a show about uh, first-person shooters, real-time sims role-playing games, gaming discussions, streams, etc. Um, but the title of this article is Pathfinder's ambitious Diablo 4 competitor launches its Kickstarter campaign. Okay, right, is the folks. timing on that coincidental? I don't think so. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, Pathfinder um, has been getting quite a lot of um, attention uh on the heels of a D&D kind of wetting the bed. Um, and now Diablo 4 is out. And there's others now that are also um, creating their own uh, role-playing game uh, based off of their own um, alchemy, whatever you want to call it. Um, but Pathfinder stems from uh, D&D 3.5. Well, it is three three point five, so it's this offshoot um, when the open gaming license became a reality. Pathfinder came into existence, and now there are computer games that have been born from that. Um, now Pathfinder's on two point as well as Starfinder is um, evolving as well. And one of my favorite live plays, the Glass Cannon podcast, um, they are the glass cannon studios. I think there are now, um, they use pathfinder primarily, but now they're also experimenting with other stuff too. Um, anyway, check them out. They are awesome. Um, anyway, tabletop RPG pathfinder, um, has already spawned a series of successful computer role-playing games. That's what the C in CRPG is. Uh, in the form of Pathfinder Kingmaker and its sequel, Wrath of the Righteous, 
Uh, but the latest game based on Pathfinder rule set is an ARPG that uh, points to uh, points its weapons at Diablo and the Kickstarter campaign. Um, it says Bold Fantasy Upstart has just launched. So the full title is Pathfinder Abomination Vaults and the Kickstarter page describes it as a co-op hack and slash a game based on the epic adventure path of the same name. So Abomination Vaults. Um, and, and what do you want to call them? Like packages of a of an adventure is um, uh, called an adventure path. So like a module that you would play. Some of them are actually really thick books and you go through um, a, a really big adventure path is what it's called. Anyway, um, over is that kind of similar to a quest. Um, only if you put a hundred of them together. Oh, okay. It's like it's a full-on storyline with um, additional characters. If one character dies, there's story arcs, discoveries. It's basically a novel. Um, and as you read the novel, you play the game and your character um, can go off on their own in terms of their decision, whatever they're going to do in that particular instance. And the objective of the game master is to kind of push you back into the, the guiding principles of the adventure path so that <laughs> you're not going way far away astray from the story um and do it in a realistic way um but it's basically just this massive story it's a lot of fun um rick lane over at pcgamer.com put the article together abomination vaults is already over halfway to being funded um this was eight hours ago when the article was um first aggregated and i could probably bet if i were to click that and you know what i will <laughs> might as well yeah they're at two hundred thousand of a three hundred and five thousand goal so i don't think pathfinder really has um yeah i don't know i expected it's within three days so yeah i expect them to blow past this it's all about people just uh getting on board and this looks like it might be fun i don't know pathfinder rules i don't know to me it all blends into oh it's a computer game um and the rules don't really mean much because they're hidden behind the the scenes unless you're actually rolling dice like some computer games have that mechanic um so pretty neat and if you're interested in that kind of thing, then follow the link through hometown and go check out um, this little Pathfinder game. I don't think that it it'll be as big as um, as a Diablo Four. There's just massive amount of hype. Um, but I I'll mean, support. Is it really going to have all the um, fan activities like Diablo Four does? Remember well, we featured that article yesterday. I, I would say that people are pretty passionate about Pathfinder simply because it's not D and D. It's it's the opposite of Mega uh, Corporation kind of you know, just 
hand over fist making money and then chasing people down to say that you need to license their product um you can get pdfs of all of their books um from the um pathfinder website obviously you have to pay for it but it's a lot cheaper than the printed versions um i don't know go and check them out i think that they're a pretty cool company and uh definitely the community that's around pathfinder is uh pretty chill and well i mean it it takes a village so the people that i've interacted with are pretty cool um let's go on to the next article if you don't mind no uh this next article and uh we'll have to kind of start trucking um this is in the hatch ideas channel revealed the secret push to bury a weed killer's link to parkinson's disease internal documents from chemical giant syngenta reveal tactics to sponsor sympathetic scientific papers and mislead regulators about unfavorable research the global chemical giant uh, syngenta has sought to secretly influence scientific research regarding links between its top selling weed killer and parking parkinson's parkinson's internal corporate document show well you remember that thing where i said there has to be a document there that yes yeah here's the document for a completely different case it says while numerous independent researchers have determined that the weed killer paraquat which i've heard of before um, can cause neurological changes uh, that are hallmarks of Parkinson's Syngenta has always maintained that the evidence linking Paraquat to Parkinson's disease is fragmentary and inconclusive. That's akin to the tobacco companies saying that cigarettes don't cause cancer, yet it's demonstrably... Or they don't kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, this article is over at theguardian.com. Um, it looks like it's... Uh, written by Carrie Gillum, uh, C-A-R-E-Y, and the last name is Gillum, G-I-L-L-A-M. If you say that too fast, it sounds like Terry Gilliam, but um, that's not that person. Um, so it says that it's supported by the Open Society Foundations. The article ends up talking about uh, Syngenta. And it says the files show that Syngenta created what officials call a SWAT team to be ready to respond to new independent research reports that could interfere with Syngenta's freedom to sell Paraquat. The group, also referred to as Paraquat Communications Management Team, was to convene immediately on notification of the publication of a new study, triage the situation, and plan a response, including commissioning a scientific critique. This is why I say when you're reading a research paper, look at the funding source. Um, and if it, exactly, <laughs> and if you have to do due diligence because the funding source seems to be this opaque, um, sus corporation somewhere in the Bahamas, then you can pretty much discount that research as being bullshit. Um, so uh, and in general, to, if the name of the sponsor is something like somebody against whatever <laughs> the topic is, consider they might be a biased yeah. source. Or really leans into like uh, oh, yes. the, the freedom, the freedom, whatever. Right. And and then when you like look at the people that are involved with the freedom, whatever, it's just like a bunch of fascists that are looking to 
do eugenics, you know, and and uh, create the Quidzak Hotterack. Anyway, if you're a dude, that went a little uh, intense. <laughs> maybe a little. Anyway, the the key goal was to create an international scientific consensus against the hypothesis that Paraquat is a risk factor for Parkinson's disease. Um, I actually had a conversation with somebody that basically said, well, if everybody's attacking, then why isn't it okay to defend by any means necessary? And I couldn't, there's a whole subreddit dedicated to this called walk away. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't interact with that person anymore because they were obviously zealots um, for their particular cause and couldn't see that that particular cause is entirely um, circular logic. You know, I am because I am that kind of thing. Um, so these guys want to sell their stuff, even though evidence is mounting that it leads to um, at least activation of Parkinson's disease, if not Parkinson's itself, right? Syngenta's decision to involve lawyers in the editing of its scientific reports and other communication in ways that downplayed concerning findings potentially related to public health is unacceptable, said Wendy Wagner, a law professor at the University of Texas who has served on several national academies um, of science committees. Clearly, the I lawyers... think it would have been better if she was at the University of Wyoming or something, given all the W's. <laughs> Wendy yeah. Wagner. <laughs> you, you, you took that and just went pink. I'm making a left hand turn. Uh, wow. So clearly the lawyers are involved in order to limit liability. Yeah, that's pretty much. Like corporate lawyers, if you're an employee, a corporate lawyer isn't there to protect you. They're there to protect the corporation. Even though the corporation can't be put in jail for anything, what's going to end up happening is if there's liability found, then there's a copious amount of money that's going to be exfiltrating the coffers of the company, which means that stakeholders and not the employees, mind you, but the stakeholders are going to be losing some money and you can't have that. You can sell a product that might be causing Parkinson's, but you can't lose money. They're not taking that medicine or being impacted by that drug or being impacted. Or drinking by, that water or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> or drinking that water or anything. I was thinking of Aaron Brockovich. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just plop that dirty glass down and go, you drink that. Yeah, that never happens. That never freaking happens. Um, plus, genetics are anomalous. You know, people think that they, we've got a beat on this stuff, but we don't. It's a real big guessing game. And when uh, a whole squad of people are showing up with Parkinson's disease and the one common factor is paraquat, guess what? <laughs> if it quacks like a duck, then your duck causes Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> that's giving ducks a bad name i think <laughs> no, i love ducks ducks are uh, ducks quack me up man that's it i'm going to the next article before that becomes evidence 
Okay, so the next article is over on the Mobile Channel. Why is China drilling down 10,000 meters, one of the deepest holes in the world? Apparently, it says China is embarking on a journey into the earthly, uh, earthy unknown. So the world's second largest economy is taking its deep earth exploration to new depths. Julia Malik over at QZ, a.k.a. Quartz, um, wrote this article. And it, it looks like uh, there's a borehole that's located in Takla Mankin. Wait, sorry, there I threw an N in there. Takla Mackin Desert, uh, part of the resource-rich Xinjiang Uyghur uh, Autonomous Region located in northwestern China. Huh. I'll leave that topic alone. The project will use equipment weighing 2,000 metric tons to break through 10 layers of continental strata. Eventually, the borehole will uh, burrow into the Cretaceous system, a stratified layer of rock that dates back to 145 million years ago. Completion of the project could take an estimated 457 days. Okay, I'm thinking of bad bats and also earthquakes. Yeah, I mean, what's going to come out of that? <laughs> I suppose nothing could. I mean, if you if there's something down there, like lava, because it hits a lava tube or something, um, it'll just rise up and either form a volcano um, from a four inch borehole. I don't know how what the dimensions of the borehole is, but they want to go 40,000 feet down. Quite the dig. So who knows? I guess they're just curious and, and they're trying to figure out what's down there. So good luck. Um, fundamental research. If nothing happens, uh, fine. But uh, if something bad happens, planetary COVID-19. That's one hell of a bad bat. A 40,000 foot deep bad bat. Anyway, it doesn't By really way, even the... say... Are they both 40,000? Because they're mentioning one in Russia also. But maybe it is if it's 10,000 meters. Yeah, it's about yeah. 40,000 feet. So sorry. the Kola Super Deep Borehole in Northwest Russia currently holds the record at 40,000. They're going 10,000 meters, so 30,000. But I'm rounding up because it's that. Um, To me, eh, what's 10,000? Maybe if they get, if you connect the two... Yeah. I don't know. You ever, you know, that thing where the, you talk into the pipe in one area and you can hear the person in the pipe on the other side, you know, like telephone. Yes. Maybe they're going to do that with the Russian and China borehole. It's actually connecting underground. Maybe so, but I don't know if they're digging far enough to make that happen. <laughs> yep. Okay. Let's go on to the next article. Uh, this next article is over in the Late Night Geeks channel. Lumari is a new social sandbox game with cute creatures, building capabilities, and more. Um, I actually watched a little bit of this, and it looks like my time at Sandrock um, and similar, like, Pokemon. Um, 
But apparently there's a story here and you do some crafting and building and survival kind of things. And you have a bunch of cute-ish characters and they help you build. I don't know. I, don't know. Um, I guess it's kind of cutesy. It really screams Pokemon to me. Even the main um, creature that started the video off the trailer looked and same with this one. <laughs> yeah. They look like Pokemon. Like Flareon or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, and even the, the battles, the fight looks like it's Pokemon. Um, but hey, uh, you get Pokemon adjacent and you're fine from uh, getting sued into oblivion. So let's go over to TechCrunch. Uh, that's where this is found. Lauren Forrestall is the author of this article. Lumari is a new social sandbox game with cute creatures, building capabilities, and more. Um, the game studio raised $1.6 million in pre-seed funding led by London Venture Partners with uh, participation from Convoy Ventures, Progression Fund, Valhalla Ventures, Averon LLC, and Artichoke Capital. Um, so TechCrunch is decidedly business oriented. Um, so they've got a lot of uh, pure data in their articles, which I really do appreciate. Um, let me, I did it again. I need to throw these articles into the chat. I'm really sorry, folks. Um, this kind of breaks up our show as well. So if you are in chat and you want to talk about something, throw it in chat. Um, we can chat while I am throwing my And also, stuff. don't forget to go into the daily elections and vote. Yeah, you can do that too. Um, there's a, a menu feature. Uh, even if you're not logged in, if you're not a citizen, you can still um, vote on the, the, the content there. So give it a, give it a shot. Um, so, yeah, this looks very Pokemon-esque. So seems like it'll be fun but it even says it right there lumari a social sandbox uh adventure game that appears to be a cross between animal crossing pokemon and minecraft i don't know it that hits on all of the cylinders that i like so i like the cutesy uh, animation because it's not hyper realistic but it's fast it's efficient it's entertaining it's engaging that's this is the kind of fishing that i would probably enjoy um, not that hyper realistic and you know whatever um and i like minecraft um i wish that it had actual adventures and stuff like that but with mod packs it extends it so that there are adventures quests and stuff um they seem to be broken many times because there isn't a professional development team associated with it it's usually one really passionate um, person that's building the mod pack um and as for animal crossing it's there there are people that that is their life so i i can see that it would be interesting to them, many people okay let's go on let's let's keep going um i think the ai is powering down the ai's batteries need some recharging yeah fast swap batteries you just need a little one that'll just kind of keep you idling until the bigger uh, battery is or we need some of those electric roads in uh hometown yeah that's all that uh hometown is electric roads 
So uh, this next article is over in Hometown Daily. A California woman is accused of shipping over 9 million parcels using counterfeit postage, costing the USPS $60 million in lost revenue. Lee Juan, okay. go ahead. How, how long would it take you to mail 9 million packages? According to the article, six months. That doesn't even seem possible. <laughs> right? Um, uh, maybe her name is Liwan Chen, um, was arrested on May 24th after the USPS investigated an alleged counterfeit postage scheme. Postal inspectors estimated, uh, Chen and her employees shipped over 9 million parcels in six months. Chen ran a business shipping parcels for e-commerce sites, including a number in China, according to documents. California woman used counterfeit postage to ship over 9 million parcels over the course of six months. Prosecutors claimed in a recent court filing. Wow. I mean, can you imagine standing in line behind this person? (laughs) Well, now we know why shipping is so cheap from China. Pete Sim (laughs) is the author over at business insider. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all that there is to this article. Uh, but USPS lost, well, they say would have lost $60 million in revenue due to the apparent scheme, but they did. Um, not just the, not only did they, see, this is the thing. They didn't just lose $60 million. Let's just double it because there's wear and tear on the vehicles. There's gas. There's the salaries of the people that are actually delivering these products. And there is the stamp itself. It's supposed to be a, something that is pays for the operations of the, the enterprise, the organization, the U.S. Postal Service. And it's supposed to run bootstrap, right? It makes just enough to, well, now um, reinforce the fully funded retirement fund that's probably actually been gutted for military purposes um and now is just a line item that says that there's this amount of money sitting there but the real capitalization is already spent um part of the deficit anyway soapbox aside um it's more than just the value of the they actually delivered these damn products. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so much more beyond it. So they didn't sell the stamps. Yep. They didn't get revenue from the sender. Yeah. Right. And then you're right. All the infrastructure type costs. Yeah. And then, of course, precluded other people from sending things on time or whatever. Correct. I mean, given the volume of packages. Yep. Nine million parcels over the course of six months. That is a shit ton of business. <sighs> wow. Other inspectors saw one truck which had been turned away from a distribution center for trying to ship mail with counterfeit postage parked outside Chen's house a day later, according to the court documents. So they basically tracked her long enough um, to know that that that's what was going on. The evidence obtained in the investigation shows that 
Uh, Chen is operating a business which provides shipping and postage services to businesses, including e-commerce vendors operating out of China that seek discounted USPS rates for mailing their products within the United States. So I've had this conversation um, with um, people near and dear to hometown um, and uh, describe the fact that no, you can't get discounted uh, uh, stamps. <laughs> Postage. You can't get discounted postage. It just doesn't work that way. Um, there is a baseline and the U.S. Postal Service isn't um, selling below the face value of stamps. It literally would be losing money with every stamp that it sold. Uh, anyway, um, a representative for the USPS did not respond to Insider's request for comment. It says immediately. I think that's like boilerplate template stuff. Did not immediately. Well... And doesn't that make you think when you read that, okay, they have the article ready to post. They reach out to whomever the Mash. source is and like they're counting to 10 or something and then <laughs> hitting post. Nope. Oh, nope. They didn't respond. <laughs> it's like the ticket giver that's uh, driving around downtown, hometown, right? And they're like watching that. Oh, the flag went up. Ticket. <laughs> it's already filled out, ready to go. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so the last article for today, it's aliens. So in the mobile channel, U.S. military has been observing metallic orbs making extraordinary maneuvers at an historic, I don't know why they said it like that, at a historic NASA briefing. Ugh, it's at an historic NASA briefing. I don't know why it is. It just is. Uh, it's because of that H. Anyway, at an, at an historic NASA briefing on UFOs, UFO is actually now UAP, Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena in Government Parlance. A key Defense Department uh, official made a striking disclosure, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, and their cousin, Kirk Sean Patrick, um, both directors of, no, I'm sorry. I can't keep that going. Anyway, Dr. I'm sorry. Sean, How many times is that person called either Kirk or Patrick or Sean or Sean? So Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, director of a new UAP analysis office stated that us military personnel are observing metallic orbs all over the world. An image, along with two brief videos of such objects are now publicly available. By the way, there are people that are online on YouTube who are debunking these government released videos um, saying, oh, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, OK, now turn yourself into a military organization that's claiming that they don't know what the hell is flying around a battle group in the South Pacific, <laughs> threatening the in, 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 the integrity of your uh, military operations. Yeah. Okay. They're not faking a lot of it. incentive to fabricate that, right? Because there'd yeah. be more incentive to go the other direction and say it didn't exist. Yeah, exactly. Why release it into assume. the wild? No, no, no government is going to sit there and say, yeah, we're not in control of our airspace and we don't know what the hell's flying around us. That's really how you get the public to buy into the strength of the number one military operation on the planet, right? 
Well, and also your adversaries, like you don't necessarily want to be like, well, we don't really know what we're doing here. <laughs> You're like sending them. They're texting generals. Da, 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 da. A new phone. Who the hell is that flying around? Whatever. So goofy that somebody would do something like that would say and it's serious because I've actually seen I've watched the videos on YouTube. Like, are you really trying to debunk a government released video that shows shit that why would a whole bunch of conspirators work together to impugn the capabilities of a F-16 fighter jet? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And call into question their mental stability, right? Because when you go running around saying that you've seen a UFO, the next thing that you hear is you're freaking nuts. That's why I will never disclose that I've been. Never mind. I've said too much. <laughs> anyway, according to Kirkpatrick, spherical objects account for the largest proportion, nearly half of all UAP reports received by his office. Critically, some of these objects are capable of very interesting apparent maneuvers. Yeah, we've seen these videos. Wow, that was scary. So this has nothing to do with usually that's what happens. This is playing in the background and we end up talking about, you know, like sweet peas in Cambodia or something. And it, like, why is this video playing on a military base observing metallic orbs making extraordinary maneuvers? Merrick von Rennenkampf. Big name to live up to. Um, opinion contributor. So they actually have links. I think it's to the same videos that we have been seeing since when? Like 2012 or something like that. Right. It doesn't look like they actually have new videos in here, which I thought they would have. So in his presentation, Kirkpatrick also described the UAP characteristics most frequently received by his office. This range of attributes, in short, amounts to a UAP profile that Kirkpatrick staff is out hunting for. Intriguingly, this profile includes small 3 to 13 feet in diameter spherical objects capable of flight at a range of velocities from stationary to twice the speed of sound, despite a perplexing absence of thermal exhaust, such as heat from an engine. Of particular note, uh, as Kirkpatrick uh, made clear, some of these highly anomalous characteristics are observed via multiple sensors. Now, what I find really intriguing about this is we didn't know about these things until we upgraded our sensors. Right. And so, I mean, were they there? We just couldn't detect them. Right. The other and thing now, that sounds interesting to me is just the size of the objects, because that seems very small on the, the small end of this range. So, and, and th this is the video, and this is the source of those videos. Former U.S. Navy fighter pilot Lieutenant Ryan Graves has described daily encounters with unidentified objects exhibiting characteristics strikingly similar to those described by Kirkpatrick. It's really the other right way around. Kirkpatrick is describing things that Ryan Graves saw back in 2014. It's a subtle but distinct difference. Um, 
So Graves and at least 50 to 60 fellow naval aviators observed unknown objects frequently via multiple sensors that remained stationary above the ground even in hurricane force winds or traveled at speeds faster than sound with no discernible exhaust, no heat signature, nothing that shows that it had directional flight based on some some type of propulsion um, involving combustion, thermal expansion. It was something else, right? Would I love to see something like this? Yeah, I would love to. Am I ever going to see anything like this? Hopefully not, because I don't want to be probed. You might see a UAP without that experience. Speaking of P, um, that's the end of our show. Did you want to talk more about these aliens? No, I thought this article might have some new um, videos or something along those lines. But it's interesting just with the number of people and the number observed. Um, so it seems like it's really upticking and maybe that gets back to the sensor thing. Yeah. And uh, I had been told a long time ago that this is kind of what was supposed to happen. More and more disclosure, discussion, ramping up kind of. Supposedly, it's to uh, brace everybody for the real disclosure that we're not alone in the universe, um, because without this conditioning of society, the whole world is going to melt down. And I can almost guarantee you that, yeah, it's going to melt down anyway, because half the planet is going to say that it's all bullshit and the other half is going to buy into it. And there's going to be four percent in the middle that are sitting there going, hey, can can we just take a step back and have a discussion with the people. I don't want to bend the knee to aliens. And I also don't want to go shooting at them because the day the earth stood still could be a documentary if we're not careful. So, Hey, let's just chill. But no, you either have to be a wingnut on that side or wingnut on that side. Although wingnut is decidedly one side. Um, at any rate, yeah, this article, by the way, goes into the historical context of this, of the, uh, UAPs that the UAPs that actually gave the UAP, um, name to the public, they weren't UFOs. They were UFOs before this event. And then in 2014, they became UAPs because okay, there was but such they were a, the same things, right? <laughs> they, they are the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, so Graves talks about um, their experience with these UAPs. Um, and I find it fascinating. Um, uh, I don't know. I would love to see more. Um, but I also want it from a reputable source and not somebody that when you have a conversation with them and you, you go, eh, they don't suddenly find you not worthy of having a conversation because you're not already buying into the ideology. <clears throat> now, while I think that we're not alone, I also don't know if there's UFOs or UAPs or whatever. I have never seen them. 
but I also don't have to see fire with my eyes to know that fire exists somewhere else on the planet other than in front of me. Object permanence, folks. Uh, even babies understand. It's just like but... that hidden moon that's been following us around. Yeah, what the hell? Why didn't the planet just turn around? It was right there. It's only the size of a school bus, but hey, it's okay. It's been like, wait, let me uh, catch up to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm 5 million miles behind you. Um, you're just now noticing me? Ugh, bad parent. What if that's the thing that smashed into the planet that like pooted out the moon? Because that's the theory, right? Something hit the earth and it pooted out the moon. That maybe that the remaining blob is that thing that's trailing behind. Well, that could be the case. The stalker that is this little. It is only the size of a bus or something like that, right? I think so. Yeah. Because a bus now is a unit of scientific measure ever since the alien slash weather ship slash surveillance vehicles slash uh, Chinese uh, COVID distribution balloon, whatever somebody starts throwing out there as the label for whatever it was, whatever it was, it was three buses wide. And apparently this little moonlit thing is like a bus or something like that out there. Five million miles away. I like it when we have these odd... Um modes of measurement <laughs> yeah exactly a banana for scale and a bus for scale because all buses are the exact same size just like oh bananas. exactly <laughs> yeah. all right folks that is it for hometown daily and uh, we always bring you back to the front and we mash that button oh and while i'm here remember you can now click on that and you will get only articles that were aggregated during june 2nd um, you can also select a day a month and a year and hit show and it'll reach back and this predates us actually having images because um, remember um, prior to me opening this up in january of 2022 this was very utilitarian i used it uh, behind a uh, sealed website so that I could consume the information as fast and furious as I needed it. Well, now um, all you have to do is go back to the front page and you get all of the news. And uh, let's see. Oh, God. Cannot go a day without something going on. Um... Oh my goodness. What is going on with society? It's almost I like we're digging know. a 30,000 foot hole into the crust. Well, maybe China is. China is. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else interesting? Snoop Dogg postpones Hollywood Bowl series uh, shows amid rider strike. Me and Dr. Dre, we stand in solidarity with the writers. Well, I agree. I don't think that there should be anybody in entertainment making $250 million as head of an organization without busting their 
ass every single day, like sweat dripping off their body because they are working in, in the field, right? $250 million for steering the ship. Meanwhile, there are people that are barely even getting food on the table and they're the ones that are making the stuff that this person is earning 250 million. I mean, come on now. You know, you're not supposed to sit there and say you, you, you cannot compare what's going on with back in the day slavery, but because there was freedom, there is freedom now, right? There was no freedom for people that were enslaved. But my God, somebody making $30,000 a year writing in LA. No, they're not making ends meet. They're basically living in the writer's room because they can't afford a place somewhere else, or they have 15 people living in an apartment. Meanwhile, there's some asshat making $250 million off of the backs of all of these other people. I think that's like 1% ASMR. $250 million. My mic, I've never heard a mic scream before, but if there's a mic that's screaming right now, it's this one because I'm way too close and I'm touching it. <laughs> Please leave me alone. <laughs> All right. I've said too much. And Meta threatens to pull news content over legislation. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. I heard recently that Reddit is charging, wants to charge somebody $20 million so that they can uh, access the API. Yeah. You're out of your mind. I mean, if that actually materializes, that'll be the death of Reddit. I, I just, I don't get, well, it's going to be the death of that app and nobody likes the in, inbuilt Reddit app. So what's going to happen is, and this is what I see happening. Oh man, I, I'm calling it now. This is what I see happening. They're going to, they're going to demand that the person pays more. The person can't afford it because they're not charging through the nose right? Because they're an ethical business uh, leader. So they can't afford it anymore. And they're going to flinch when Reddit demands this higher amount. And then Reddit's going to just kind of going to go like this. Uh, you know, here, here, here's some cash. We'll buy your app because we know that it's better. We just had to put a cup of coffin, coffin nails in there. We just had to just bury it a little bit, you know, like bury it up to its head in in the dirt and then and then uh, start driving the lawnmower towards you you know that that i mean it, it's all it's all good it's just business it's just it's just business bro so i wonder if that actually happens if that happens well then it happens because i don't i have no dog in the hunt um but i think it sucks um, but it's something that I have said to other, to, to many, an entrepreneur, if you put all of your eggs in one basket, 
and somebody decides to cut the bottom out of your basket because they actually own the bottom of your basket, you're screwed. And when you run your entire business off of Reddit and Reddit decides to pull the plug on you, you are done. Right, with really no warning. And no recourse. Right. Because it was... Uh, uh, anyway. So, yeah, that's where I stand with that. Anyway, um, man, I really want to thank the folks that uh, recently subscribed, but... Or followed, I should say. Don't not subscribe. They followed uh, Omtown over on Twitch. Go to Omtown. Sorry, go to Omtown.com. That too, but go to Twitch.tv/Omtown and uh, follow me there. Follow the AI there if you don't like me. Go over to YouTube. Follow, like, subscribe, ring the bell, uh, leave a message. Then go over to anywhere you catch pods and and uh, download the pod and uh and then uh, leave a review and if you leave a five star review i will say what you say in your review here in perpetuity because not only is this stored here on twitch for only 60 days but i turn it into a youtube um, video and the podcast itself so you will see yourself in electrons because that's all we are just in the wind that's it you want to say good night wait 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 good night hometown citizens but oh. not yet <laughs> i'm Watt. that's hometown.com and up there is the ai that keeps me sane and sometimes drives me nuts so maybe good night, hometown citizens. And I don't know if we'll see you before 9 p.m. Eastern tomorrow, but we'll definitely see you at 9 p.m. Eastern. I want to tell that joke about the pirate with the steering wheel. Why do you have a steering wheel? And he goes to a bar. Bartender says, uh, why do you have a steering wheel in your pants? Yeah, I'm not going to finish that joke. You're going to leave everybody hanging for the punchline? I'm leaving everybody hanging. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>